GM, I'm TZ, the CEO of Islands, and thank you so much for listening to season one of the Probably Nothing podcast. Today's episode is a special one as we're diving into some of the highlights from season one. If you're new to the podcast, be sure to go back and listen to the full episodes for more fun stories. We'll include links to the Islands Discord and Islands community so you can continue the conversation there. Heading into season two, We'll be doing some fun things live with our community on those platforms around the pot, so be sure to get in early. On to the recap. Our guest co-host this season was Alexis Ohanian, the founder of Reddit and 776. And in episode one, we dove into why Alexis is so fascinated, not just with NFTs, but Web3 overall. This episode highlights what NFTs are, why they are so important, and how they align incentives in ways that other technologies haven't. While you are the main reason that Web2 companies thrive and make money, you rarely got to benefit directly from that company's success. In Web3, this model is flipped as the communities and artists or creators are able to capture most of the value they create. NFTs and Web3 may be relatively new, but human psychology doesn't change very much. Humans create and share memes, want to belong to particular tribes they identify with, and want to show off their membership in a tribe with the things they own. This clip and Alexis's discussion of the Mona Lisa demonstrates the power of memes and how the value of a piece of art can be based just as much on the myths surrounding it as much as the colors, designs, and style of the painting. Let's check it out. NFTs are tokenized memes, and we're just living we in go. a meme economy. People should be able to make a living creating the meme around culture. We live today all assuming that like the Mona Lisa has always been one of the most important paintings in Western culture. Not the case, not true at all. It only mattered when it became a meme. And the reason I bring up the Mona Lisa is because I'm pretty well known at this point for ranting about how no one cared about that painting. It sat in the Louvre, ignored for hundreds of years until it got stolen in like 1912. And then a bunch of Parisians were like, oh my goodness, the Mona Lisa was stolen in the cafes. They didn't have Twitter, so they were just talking about it in cafes. And that made it a meme in Paris, which then when it was returned, made people actually care about the Mona Lisa. In episode two, we spoke with Justin Aversano, artist and creator of some amazing NFT projects, starting with his portrait series, Twin Flames. Justin is a living example of how NFT projects are changing the financial situation of artists. Justin had $250 in his bank account and wasted $125 when he messed up trying to mint his first NFT. NFTs enable earning primary sales and continual royalties from secondary sales in ways that traditional auction houses have been unable to provide to artists. Justin understands that his success is a result of the community of people supporting his art, so he focuses on both maximizing the amount of people who own his art and also on getting to know each owner individually. This community focus is a pretty special dynamic and is definitely a key to not only his success, but other NFT artists as well. As a result of his financial success, Justin has been able to reinvest into other artists and projects he believes in, which Alexis likens to the early days of another special world-changing place in time. Let's hear what Alexis has to say about this. This is what made Silicon Valley. It was a bunch of nerds who made money building technology companies investing in other nerds who were building the next gen of technology companies. And that spun up the flywheel so damn fast that it let college kids like me get funding to start Reddit. I was on stage telling people about a second renaissance that would come 
because of things like Patreon. And I think in a lot of ways it did bring out a whole other sort of first wave of creators. But Web3 is actually really bringing it out. Is artists and early creators now being able to reinvest in the next generation? If you're someone who is just getting into NFTs, episode three is a great episode for you. We spoke to Keith Grossman, president of Time Magazine, a timeless media brand that is reinventing itself through NFTs for a Web3 world. At the beginning of 2021, Keith knew absolutely zero about Web3 and NFTs, but by 2022, Keith is leading the whole NFT venture with Time Magazine. Keith's story is similar to many other people who have gotten into Web3, starting by being curious about a big sale or unique project, then starting to actually get involved with some projects, and finally experiencing the helpfulness of the Web3 community firsthand. Keith's three main pieces of advice if you want to learn more about this space. Number one, take a small amount of money and turn it into ETH. Use this to actually interact with the Web3 project, allowing you to better understand the ecosystem. Number two, listen on Twitter spaces, like actually listen. Take some notes and follow the people whose messages you resonate with the most. Number three, whatever you buy, expect it to go to zero. Yes, the headlines of buying a board ape or CryptoPunk are great, but like Alexa says, this space right now is similar to early stage investing, where statistically 90% of all startups fail. A few key moments helped things click for Keith and made him a big enough believer in NFTs to reinvent a 98-year-old company around them. It started with a note from Mark Benioff, the owner of Time, as Keith explains in this clip. What brought Time into it was a note from Mark one night. It started off, it said, I have a crazy idea, did you see this? And he sent a link to the Nyan Cat sale. Time has not reinvented itself in 98 years. And I wish I could be like, I had this brilliant foresight to bring crypto into time, but there was no plan for that. I'm looking at the article and I said, um, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you understand why a cat with the body of a Pop-Tart farting a rainbow <laughs> just sold for 600,000 and everyone was like, no. And, and I said, I said, we could do this. Just like Keith, our episode four guest helped bring a historic and traditional company into the Web3 world through NFTs. Noah Davis of Christie's shared some amazing stories of how he first got involved with NFTs, how he sees the traditional art world reacting to this new form of digital art, and how he was able to convince a company that was started in 1766 to jump into this new world. Noah, Alexis, and I also dove into what the future of NFTs are in the traditional art world, how the $69 million record-breaking Beeple sale went down at Christie's, and Noah's hot take on NFT royalties. Noah brings a unique perspective because he is one of the few people currently in the NFT space who truly straddles both worlds of traditional art and NFTs. There may not be any Discord chats or meme creators at a Picasso auction, but as Noah explains, there are definitely similarities to traditional art in how he sees NFTs evolving. Noah's background is also interesting and has helped prepare him for the sometimes absurd world of Web3. While his current job is to be an NFT specialist and auction off some of the biggest NFT art in the world, he graduated with an English degree that specialized in absurdist post-war French theater. I think a lot about the theater of the absurd in the context of NFTs because what really drew me in was how ridiculous all of this was and how counterintuitive to 
the kind of standards of the 21st century contemporary art world. Where to be totally frank, like I never felt like I completely fit in, but the absurdity of selling an asset that does not exist, how it's sort of like the emperor's new clothes, that really attracted me. And I do think it totally rhymes with the philosophy of the theater of the absurd. Continuing down the art side of NFTs, episode 5 was a special live recording with Ryan Wilson, aka Thank You X, at Art Basel in Miami. My favorite moment from this episode was hearing about Ryan's Matrix moment with NFTs while watching his first mint sell out. Ryan's wife was pregnant and sleeping, so while he was freaking out inside, watching what the future of art is becoming, he couldn't celebrate too loudly. Ryan lends another great perspective from the season to how NFTs are changing the dynamic for creators. At first, he was laughed at by some of his artist friends for leaning heavily into this digital space, but he's now having more and more discussions on how he can help these same people get into the NFT world. This clip highlights why smart contracts are helping Ryan convince some of his artist friends. Because these assets are all transferred digitally, the artist can not only be paid on the initial, aka primary sale, but also automatically receive payments on any resale of their work after that. As Ryan explained, this is a huge transformation in the industry. 2021 seemed to be the year of the PFP project and one-of-one art pieces, but ThankUX believes that the future of NFTR is in digital fashion. And the most interesting thing for me during this episode was the different opinions of Alexis versus ThankUX when it comes to the amount of money coming into NFT art. Alexis believes that it's great and will motivate future artists who are kids as they will believe that becoming an artist can be a viable path nowadays. While Thank You X appreciates the money that comes in, but has the hot take that artists should be willing to make their art for zero dollars. You know, in the art world, what happens is like, they'll find like an artist, the galleries and the, the museums and the auction houses will kind of like manipulate and control that artist market. They'll have one person buy out the whole show just to sell it out and then like, that artist will get paid once. Maybe that artist sells something for 10000 and then it's selling for 100000 at the auction house, but they're not seeing any of it. Troy was talking about the idea how like, artists should get paid royalties, and there could be something like on the blockchain, and that blew my mind. I was like, that's actually genius, and it's true, because now if you have a sale, whether it's lower than the primary, higher than the primary, you still get paid every time that, that happens. Speaking of starting from zero, episode 6 was with Bobby Hundreds, who is the mastermind behind the Atom Bomb Squad project. Bobby is one of the few founders in the world that has been able to transition his brand from Web 1 to Web 2 to Web 3, and the one thing that Bobby knows all too well is the hype cycle. Streetwear, Silicon Valley startups, early stage investing, they're all very similar in that the truth is, most won't make it. But there is a reason why some projects do and why some projects don't. And if you've spent any time in the Web3 world, you'll hear the word community get thrown around every five messages in a Discord server, even though very rarely does a project actually have a true community. Bobby has this amazing quote in the episode where he says, To think that every single day I might lose this company entirely to the community is electrifying. You would never hear a Web2 founder say something like that. If anything, it's the complete opposite, as founders typically try to hold onto as much control of the company as possible. But not in Web3, and especially not with great founders like Bobby. During the rest of the episode, Bobby, Alexis, and I riff about the way that Bobby forced himself to learn about this space, the pros and cons of raising so much money with these NFT drops, and why Bobby even thought to switch from streetwear over to NFTs. The way that a lot of projects are going right now, <laughs> which is 
To me, fast rise, fast demise. Everything is excitable, hype fueled. We've seen all that. I've done that before. Fashion has done that. It's even faster now because of the technology. It's expedited. I've seen it all with streetwear. And there are seasons where you're like, this is it. This brand is forever. This is the one. And two years later, half of those brands won't be there. Now, there is one aspect that we haven't talked about yet in this season wrap up and Web3 overall, and that's the ability to build anonymously through pseudonyms. In a Web2 world, unless you're a part of an esports organization, no one would ever call you by your at name on Twitter. But in Web3, it's normal that you may never even see the face of the person who founded the project you're working on or invested in. Well, that's exactly what Betty from Deadfellows chose to do as she and her husband remain anonymous while building one of the most successful NFT projects. Not only are Betty and her husband Psych anonymous, but all she knows about 30% of her team is literally just their usernames and wallet addresses. While this may sound strange to some, for Betty and others, remaining anonymous is a way to bring people from all different backgrounds and experiences into the Web3 world. As a username and profile picture, you're judged only on your contributions to the community and ability to help others rather than your race, gender, or education. This could have a huge impact on the future of work, which is what excites people like Betty and many others about Web3. To start season two, we'll be talking to some of the other boss ladies and anonymous creators in the space, so be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications if you listen on Spotify. My name is actually Betty. It's not my legal name, but it's what I've been called since I was tiny. In terms of being anonymous, the decision initially was just the creative freedom because of our corporate jobs, because clients are clients. Anyone that works with corporate clients knows that it can be a bit difficult and confusing for them to separate things in terms of what you're doing. It's the reason why Psych has an artist name because people kept finding his artwork and being like, what is this? And, you know, getting very confused. One person who knows the ins and outs of community like no one else is my good friend Farouk, who we hosted in episode eight. He has built communities of tens of millions on platforms like Tumblr, Instagram, and now he's focused on Web3. Remember Clubhouse? Yeah. Without that, Farouk, Alexis, and I may have never had this conversation together since that's what got Farouk started in the NFT world. It's midnight and I'm, you know, browsing the hallways of Clubhouse, going through rooms and this and that. And I end up in a room with my friend Buster and I'm like, what the hell is an NFT? Next thing you know, Logan Paul joins the room. Two seconds later, there's 2,000 people in the audience. And all of a sudden you have a bunch of artists that swarm the stage in a good way. Thank you, X. Jan Silva, Victor Fiewoshis, Victor Mascara, Fakwender, Odias, Greg Mike, that whole clique came on stage. I started asking questions for four hours straight. What is the blockchain? How does it work? What's an NFT? All the stupid questions that people are scared to ask, I went for it and I was asking them away. The next morning, I quit everything I was doing. I bought my first NFT. The reason that I wanted to build this podcast is to help anyone understand what Web3 and NFTs are. And at the basic level, to truly understand this whole world, you really need to see why Elon Musk tweeted, who controls the memes controls the world. Farouk talks about this and how meme culture inspired him to start building Rug Radio, which he believes will become the first decentralized media platform. Farouk dives deeper into the whole meme behind it, but basically Farouk would host hours of Twitter spaces each day to learn about Web3 and help others get an understanding of this new world. Because Twitter spaces was so new, his rooms would have hundreds of people and then all of a sudden, it would crash or get rugged, and he'd have to start the room from scratch. Now that you know what a rug pull is, 
the name behind Rug Radio might make a little more sense. He shares the story about how one day, while mad that this kept happening, he jokingly said that he would start a decentralized media platform called Rug Radio, so this would never happen again. 300 people applied to help build the project during that one Twitter space, and the rest is history. What's a DAO? It stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and one of the coolest ones right now is LinksDAO, started by our Episode 9 guest, Mike Dudas. I highlight this story because it shows the power of community in Web3. You can move from idea to full-blown product lightning fast by spinning up a DAO. What's LinksDAO's mission? Let's hear how Mike describes it. The most optimistic thing I've seen is we have more people who have said, this is the first time I ever purchased an NFT. This is the first time I heard about a DAO. I got my dad to buy an NFT. We've heard that numerous dozens of times. It's like exciting. Honestly, that's the mission as well, is just getting people involved and holding crypto. Hopefully I can come back and do 12 months and we create the world's greatest golf and leisure club. We've got a wonderful club in the real world. It's our first one. People are really excited that the membership tiers are accessible to everybody who wants to access them. My favorite part about episode nine is how honest Mike is about how they are still figuring out many parts of how DAOs operate and legally how this will fit into their mission to purchase and operate an actual golf course. As a result, the community has a massive say in how this will play out and depending on the result, it will likely inspire or educate other DAOs in the future on how to operate. What seems much clearer is how DAOs are completely changing the speed at which communities can come together to build something. LinksDAO went from an idea to raising over $11 million in just one month. While the innovation DAOs are creating is exciting, Mike has some very practical advice for those wanting to start a DAO. Don't YOLO the legal. This advice is practical for many things in life, but especially in Web3. Speaking of... Our episode 10 guest is an expert at this because, well, he's a lawyer. Jacob Martin became known as the NFT attorney in 2021. And while rising to Twitter fame is great, what really paid the bills for Jacob was something else. I've turned five grand into like a reasonable seven figure position this year. From March until June, I flipped a VFriend into a pump. I think I claim being the first person to do that from a point five to ETH purchase into a, I ended up with a, one of Justin Aversano's like blue twin flames. I scooped it super, super cheap. And then I ended up trading Anonymix and him and I traded the blue twin for a crypto punk in June. So my cost basis in my punk is like three grand. Now you might be wishing that 2022 is the same for you as 2021 was for Jacob. Disclaimer, none of this is financial advice. So that's why I asked Jacob to drop some solid investing alpha in this episode. What's alpha? Punk6529 has a great definition. Alpha is a term from the investing slash hedge fund community representing the outperformance generated by the skill of the asset manager versus beta, the market's performance. Most people's alpha, IRL and in crypto, is beta in disguise. Besides alpha discussion, Jacob walked me through how he vets projects, why has 2021 helped him transition from lawyer to investor, and why he believes that 2022 is the year of experimental DAOs, like Lynx DAO, Ready Player DAO, and Red DAO. And when you combine laws with the new wave of the internet, you usually get new rules. One of those rules is CCO, which means no copyright reserved, and basically means that anyone is able to use your IP without any restrictions. CCO projects 
like nouns, cryptodes, and others can be remixed, copied, or spun off in new ways because CCO effectively means donating the copyright to the public domain. There is a conversation around whether projects should be CCO or non-CCO. And our latest episode of the season is with Doodles co-founder Evan Keast, aka Tulip. This clip talks about why Doodles is not CCO. Doodles is not CCO. We're staying away from it for now. This may change as the project goes on, but the only thing that we're concerned about is the amount of scams that are happening in the space right now, specifically with like derivative projects. The one thing about unlimited commercialization of an individual NFT is it could potentially benefit a few and not the entire collection. Our thought was, you know, if you're going to do some sort of licensing deal, at least put some back into the community. At the end of the day, the, the community treasury is what's supposed to fund like the broader community product vision. Whether the right path is CCO or not CCO, only time will tell. But the one thing that is true is that Doodles has become a blue chip NFT collection. What is a blue chip NFT collection? Blue chip projects are typically ones with the highest value or the most secure status as a top project. Like blue chip stocks, which are typically the largest companies with the most dependable earnings, blue chip NFT projects have high prices and typically the best communities. Why blue chips? This term comes from poker, where blue chips typically have the highest value. Doodles minted for 0.123 ETH, and as of recording, the floor price is above 13.3 ETH. I wanted to finish the season off with Evan's story because he is one of the few people who has been in NFTs from the beginning. He previously worked at Dapper Labs when they were just forming and helped build out the team for CryptoKitties, one of the very first NFT projects on Ethereum. He's seen the bull and bear markets in NFTs. From all of those lessons, he shares why he believes Doodles has become so successful and what other founders can learn from previous failures. I had so much fun recording this season with Alexis and all of the guests we had on the show. I can't wait for you to hear about what we've got for our special season dedicated to women in Web3 in March. We've got a huge lineup for you next season. And for the fastest alpha of who we'll be featuring on the show next, make sure to check out the Probably Nothing channel in our Discord and on islands at islands.xyz. Use the link in the show notes to sign up on islands and lock in your username today. Our team is growing like crazy, so apply on our website if you'd like to help build the future of communities with us. All of the episodes that we talked about earlier will be linked below to both Spotify and Apple. Help us turn probably nothing into something big for everyone by screenshotting your five-star review on Apple and tagging me at tzong and at islandsxyz on Twitter. See you all next season!